Turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 39. Last week we began a brand new series of messages focused on the life of Joseph. And one of the things we learned is that Joseph's life as it unfolds in the book of Genesis is one of the most fascinating stories that we'll ever read. In fact, in looking at that story last week, we covered the first half of the story. We went to the midpoint of his life and we went that quickly because I wanted you to see really the direction of his life. I wanted you to see the trajectory of his life and his life was going down, down, down. It went from bad to worse, from bad to worse. Joseph, in the first half of his life, really lost everything that was important to him. He lost his family. He was separated from his hometown, never to return. He lost his freedom. When we come to the midpoint, Joseph is in prison. He lost his fortune. He grew up in a very wealthy home with a wealthy family. Now he is penniless. And he's lost his future. He has been forgotten in prison. But I'll give you a spoiler alert here. Everything's about to change. When we get to Genesis chapter 41, everything that was bad in Joseph's life will now turn good. It's one of the most remarkable changes. It is amazing how God pours out his blessings in Joseph's life. And most of the time when we study the life of Joseph, that's where we put our focus. Everybody wants to see how things went from terrible to wonderful. People want to see that change that happened between chapter 40 and chapter 41. And that's a good thing. And we're going to do that starting next week. But I don't want us to go so quickly that we skip over some very important events in Joseph's life. As it turned out, there were some hinge points in his life that really determined the direction of everything we'll read from this point forward. There were some opportunities, there were some decisions, there was a temptation in Joseph's life, and how he responded to that made all of the difference. And, and we face hinge points in our lives. It's hard sometimes to tell when you're in the middle of the fight that this is one of those key moments in your life, but we have opportunities and we face temptations and we make decisions that often become hinge points and determine the direction of the rest of our lives. What was Joseph's hinge point? Well, it's in Genesis chapter 39, and we'll read the passage in a moment, but uh, Joseph's hinge point was temptation. It was sexual temptation. And Joseph faced this severe temptation. In fact, he faced this temptation over and over and over. And Joseph chose obedience. Joseph handled it the right way. And that becomes the key piece of the puzzle that determines the rest of his life. Obedience is, of course, always the right path. In fact, let me just give you four reasons, just one, two, three, four, as we get started, four reasons why obedience has such great value in our lives. Number one, because it removes the obstacles to the blessings of God. Sometimes God wants to bless us, but he cannot because there's such disobedience in our lives that that becomes an obstacle to God's blessings. But when we obey, it removes those obstacles. Number two, it clears the prayer channel for better communication with the Lord. When we pray, sometimes it is very difficult, difficult for us to pray, difficult for us to hear from the Lord, and that difficulty often is, is because of the sin that's in our lives. So when we have obedience, it clears that channel for more effective praying. 
Number three, it fosters wisdom for living. God gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom, wisdom in his word and in sermons when we hear people teach God's word. But oftentimes we don't see that wisdom very well because of sin that's in our lives. Think about it this way. If you get just a grain of sand in your eye, I mean, just one tiny grain of sand in your eye, it hurts. It scratches. You, you rub your eye. It just makes it worse. You squint. You can't see very well. It just takes one tiny little grain of sand to limit your physical vision. Well, when it comes to our spiritual vision, the same thing can be true. And even the smallest sins can keep us from, from experiencing the wisdom of God and living with the with the full vision that God would have us to live. Number four, it gives assurance. Obedience gives assurance and confidence needed for courage and peace. We all need an assurance of our salvation. That's what helps us to live with confidence. That's what helps us to have peace when life is, is hard, when we know where we are with the Lord, and where we stand with the Lord. But you can't have full assurance when you, when you live a life characterized with disobedience. In fact, most doubt comes from disobedience. But when you live a life of obedience, you can experience the fullness of the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And you can have confidence with who you are in Christ. Obedience has great value. And that's why... Joseph's obedience made such a difference in his life. That's why his obedience becomes this hinge point that determines a new direction for his life. And that's why it's important for us. So let's read the story. Let's see specifically what happened in Joseph's life. I want to begin reading in verse 7, Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. And we're going to read a number of verses. It begins, after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. The slave traders had taken him to the capital city of Egypt. Potiphar had purchased him, and now he's serving in Potiphar's household. But Potiphar's wife was a wicked woman, and so she seeks to seduce him. He is facing terrible temptation. How is he going to respond? Look at verse 8. It says, but he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything, anything in his house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. And he has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. So how can I do this amidst evil? And how could I sin against God? And so he refuses. He says, no, I must not sin against God. Well, look at verse 10. You see that the temptation continues. It says, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. So this wasn't just a single temptation. It was a season of temptations. And his obedience wasn't just a one-time obedience. It was a season of obedience. Well, verse 11, things continue. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. So it was just Joseph and Potiphar's wife. 
Verse 12, she grabbed him by his garments and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and he ran outside. If you read through the next verses, she turns it all around. She is embarrassed. And so she tells her servants and her husband that it was Joseph that sought to rape her instead of the other way around. And we saw some of the details of this last week. Joseph is thrown into prison and, and there he is forgotten. By the end of Genesis chapter 40, Joseph is forgotten. So we're going to focus on what happens next, next week. But how was it that Joseph was able to resist this temptation? How was Joseph able to embrace such obedience over and over and over? What was the key? What was the secret? Well, let's look into this account, and I want you to notice five keys to overcoming temptation. Five things we can learn from the life of Joseph that we can apply to our lives so at these hinge points, we can be people of obedience and our lives can go in the direction unhindered by sin that God would have them to go. So key number one, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Now, Joseph uh, doesn't know who Christ is. He, doesn't, he didn't know the name Jesus. He didn't know about the cross, the resurrection. It hadn't happened yet. Uh, but Joseph did know who he was in his relationship with the Lord. We saw this last week as we looked at the larger story over and over and over. The Bible reminds us that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph knew that and embraced that. In fact, one of the ways that you could see that he embraced that was just the attitude that he had in the middle of this calamity. For instance, Joseph, when he was sold as a slave in Potiphar's house, what was his attitude? Did he sulk? Did he pout? Did he say, this isn't fair? No, the Bible says he had a good attitude and he served Potiphar well. How was Joseph able to have such a good attitude? Well, because he knew that though the circumstances were terrible, that he was with the Lord and the Lord was with him. And he had confidence because of the presence of the Lord. When you see somebody who just continues to have a bad attitude, you are seeing someone who is not confident that they are connected to God and that God is sovereign in this world. But Joseph had that confidence. And then he's sold into prison, not sold into prison, he's sent to prison in Genesis chapter 40, end of 39. And and, and, and much of chapter 40, what's his attitude there? Well, it's the same attitude, same attitude. Even though he is uh, unfairly imprisoned, wrongly imprisoned, he has this good attitude because he knows the Lord is with him. Joseph knew who he was with the Lord. And if we are going to be able to conquer temptation, we have to remember who we are in Christ. Because we have something that Joseph didn't have. We have Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. We know that Jesus died for us and we died with him and we have been given a newness of life. We know that we are new creatures in Christ and that we have the power and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our connection with Christ should make a difference in our daily lives. You know, what Christ has done for us and that we are connected with Christ tells us two things about our sin. First of all, Christ has removed the penalty of sin. 
Secondly, he has removed the power of sin. And that should make a difference in our lives. I'm guilty of sin. Apart from Christ, the debt I owe because of my guilt is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. But Jesus died for me. Jesus took those consequences so that I could have life. That's the first part of that. Jesus has destroyed the penalty of sin. And for you, if you have put your trust in Christ, if you have surrendered your life, if you have said, Christ, I trust you alone for my salvation. I trust you alone for forgiveness. You surrender to him. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says that he will have removed the penalty of sin in your life. It makes a difference. But not just the penalty of sin, also the power of sin. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. If we're going to overcome sin, we have to know who we are in Christ. Now, how do we leverage that? Once I know who I am with Christ, I am a child of God. I, I, I have had the penalty and the power of sin destroyed in my life. How do I leverage that in order to conquer temptation? Well, two things very quickly. First of all, we must embrace the truth that we are dead to sin. That's something we hear spoken of in church, but often we don't really understand what it means. We are dead to sin. Well, Romans 6.11 says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what this means. I told you that Christ destroyed the penalty of sin and also the power of sin. We, before we were Christians, were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. Sin was our boss. We could not help but sin. But since we have died with Christ, so to speak, since we are connected to Christ, Christ has destroyed the power, the authority of that sin such that we can now say, no to sin. We don't have to cower when temptation comes because the power of that sin, the authority of that sin in our lives has been uh, removed. It has been destroyed. So we should never say, I can't help it. You ever say that when you're tempted? Well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. If, if you're a child of God, you're dead to sin, you can help it. We should never say, well, I'm a sinner, that's just who I am. Well, you are a sinner, you have been guilty of sin, but who you are has changed in Christ. Don't ever say, this has become an unbreakable habit for believers. Listen, there is no unbreakable habit. Christ has broken it. It has no authority, no power over us. We cannot say, I'm in a rut that I will never get out of. That's just not true. We must embrace the truth that we are dead to sin. Being in Christ, being dead to sin, it must mean something in our lives. And it is the lie of Satan that tells us we can't help it and we're stuck in our sin and there's no way out there is. We must embrace the truth that we are dead to sin. Secondly, the second part of knowing who we are in Christ, we must embrace the truth that we are secure in Christ. 
I am secure in Christ. God loves me and accepts me, not because of my conduct, not because of my faithfulness, but because of the conduct and the faithfulness of Christ. Christ lived a sinless life for me. Christ died a death for me. And so my place with God is secure. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there is nothing I could do to make God love me less. I am secure in Christ. I fear no condemnation. And that gives us the confidence. It gives us the motivation that we need to live godly lives and to say no uh, to sin. I uh, don't know if I should share this story with you, but it, it's, it's been a, a valuable reminder in my life. And, and, and so perhaps it'll, it'll encourage you. I was uh, conducting a counseling appointment some time ago uh, with, a, um, uh, with, a, with a lady in, uh, in the church, and, and she asked a, a, a tough question. She said, if you, pastor, uh, were unfaithful to your wife, if you had an affair, and you were sorry and you repented, do you think your wife would leave you or not? And when she asked that question, I, I, was, I was really taken aback. I'd never really thought about that before. And I, I hesitated to answer. I've never asked my wife that question and wouldn't ask that, my wife that question. That would not be a fair question. And, and, of course, nobody really knows how they would respond having never been in that situation. But, but I thought about it, and I answered truthfully uh, to this lady that had asked. I said, no. I don't believe my wife would leave me. I believe she would be very hurt. I believe she would be gravely disappointed. I believe that there would be wounds that would be difficult to heal. But I don't think my wife would leave me. Now, let's take that into the context of this sermon, of this question, how do we overcome sin? My belief that my wife would not leave me, does that make it more likely that I would be unfaithful to her or does that make it less likely? Well, I can tell you my heart. Knowing of my wife's unselfish, unconditional love makes me even more want to honor her with every decision that I make. It's not that it gives me license. No, it inspires me to obedience. Now, who am I in Christ? I am secure in Christ. Is Christ going to kick me out of his family because I go and sin? Is Christ going to gonna erase my name out of the book of life because I have a bad day? No. But that does not give me license to sin. It motivates me to want to honor that kind of unselfish, unconditional love that, that Christ gives to me. If we're going to overcome sin, I really think step number one is to know who we are in Christ. I, I, I think Joseph gained such strength because he knew that the Lord was with Joseph. And when we know that Christ is with us, that we are in Christ. That's the foundation for overcoming sin and temptation in our lives. 
But let me give you a second thing that we see here. Not only should we know who we are in Christ, but we should pursue a high standard. Joseph pursued a high standard. Uh, he didn't know the words of Christ, but he embraced the words of Christ in Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Joseph was not perfect, but, but that was his standard. Well, there are a lot of other standards that people could choose other than perfection, other than having a high standard. I want to please the Lord in everything. There are some other standards. This could be your standard. As long as I don't get caught. I think that's the standard for a lot of people. Well, it's okay as long as I don't get caught. For some people, their standard is as long as it seems to be the fault of somebody else. As long as we can blame our sin on somebody else, then it's okay. Uh, for some people, as long as God isn't meeting all of my needs. We say, well, I'm going to honor the Lord, but if there are needs in my life and God's not meeting those needs, then, well, then all bets are off. That could be your standard. Maybe your standard could be as long as everyone else is doing it. Uh, or, or maybe your standard would be as, uh, as long as I'm far away from home. Uh, Joseph, his standard was a, was a high standard. Uh, he didn't choose a standard of compromise. He chose a standard of honor. And, and he understood the danger of compromise. He understood that, that once you have the smallest crack of compromise, that the devil knows he can take you one step further and one step further and one step further. I read through the story of Joseph here in Genesis 39 over and over and over, and, and you just see how resolute Joseph was. In verse 8, he says, I refused. In verse 10, he refused. In verse 12, he left his garment and escaped and ran outside. Joseph's standard was high. If we're going to overcome sin, if we're going to conquer some temptation in our lives, we have to know who we are in Christ, but then we have to have a high standard. Sin is serious. God, God has a high standard, and that's the standard we should embrace. And then number three, we should accept personal responsibility. Joseph could very easily have justified this sin. I thought about it. Joseph could have said, well, uh, Potiphar's wife is in a sense my master. Potiphar is my master and, and she's the wife of my master. In some sense, she's my master and so I should do what she says do. He could have justified it that way. He could also have said, listen, I'm away from home and none of my needs are being met and it's hopeless and I live in a pagan culture. He could have used that to justify this. He could have said, listen, God has let me down. I've been praying that God would rescue me and here I am stuck and God hasn't come through. I'm not gonna be faithful to God now. He could have justified this in a hundred different ways, but he didn't. He did not blame his sin on other people. He said, this is my choice, and since it's my choice, I'm going to make the right choice. People today, we often will say in the face of temptation, well, I just didn't have a choice. I don't have a choice. We always have a choice. We should choose obedience and then let God worry about the consequences. The truth is that God takes total responsibility for the life that is totally committed to him. I used to have that written on my desk, uh, going through some difficult times several, several years ago and having to make some tough decisions and have, having to be obedient in some areas where I might have to pay a price. And I, 
And I was tempted to not be faithful in that, in that particular area. And so I, I, I typed it out and I taped it to my desk. The reminder that God will be totally responsible for the life that is totally committed to him. Joseph, that was his motto. It was, uh, it was a hard choice. And he knew he might pay a great price. And he did pay a great price. But he trusted the Lord. And he accepted responsibility. It was his choice. And if we're going to overcome sin, we have to refuse to blame others or circumstances, and we must make the choice of obedience. Then that brings us to number four. We should create swift separation. We should flee the temptation. That's what, that's what Joseph did. He, he ran from the house. He left some of his clothing behind. It was such an urgent fleeing from temptation and that's what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible never instructs us just to stand there defenseless in the face of temptation, but it repeatedly tells us to flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful passions. So we should flee. Now let me tell you how to do that. I want to be practical today, as practical as I can. So to flee, first of all, we must separate ourselves physically from the temptation. The most effective way to, uh, to, to conquer temptation is just to get away from it. Listen to this, Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, keep off the path of the wicked, don't proceed on the way of the evil ones, avoid it, don't travel on it, turn away from it and pass it by. I don't know how many times you can say the same thing in just two verses, but he says, stay away from it. If there's some location, if there is some person, if there is some event that's going to lead you to temptation, stay away. But also, if we're going to create swift separation, then not only should we separate physically, but we should separate visually from the source of temptation. Often our eyes... Our eyes are the gates of temptation. Temptation enters our hearts through our eyes. And you see this repeated in Scripture. Genesis 3.6, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Eve's sin. It says, the woman saw that the tree was good. The temptation entered her eyes. Genesis 13.10, Lot looked out and saw the plains. Joshua 7, 21, Achan says, when I saw among the spoils in Jericho. 2 Samuel eleven two 2 uh, speaks of David, the sin of David and Bathsheba. And it says, one evening David got up from his bed and strolled uh, on his rooftop. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. It is through the eyes that temptation often comes. We need to separate ourselves visually from temptation. That can be something as obvious as not looking lustily at, uh, at a man or a woman. Uh, it could include not looking at pornography or some, uh, something close to pornography that's just all over our culture that we're exposed to so often. But it can also include even just looking uh, all day long at social media. It can include... Uh, window shopping or internet shopping when we don't need to spend money. Sometimes we will just 
focus our eyes on temptation after temptation after temptation, and then we're, we're frustrated that we don't have the strength to say no. We should separate ourselves from temptation visually. And then the third way to do this is we must continue to separate ourselves from the source of temptation. So separate physically, separate visually, and then continue to do that. This was not just a one-time declaration on Joseph's part. This the story wasn't that he was tempted once and he said no once and end of the story. No, we read in verse 10, look at it again, Genesis 39, 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused. No, it required a season of obedience. Uh, we, we don't just say no once. No, as Christians, we are to continue to struggle with temptation and, and, and trust the Lord and pray and, and seek to live godly and holy lives. It is a continual commitment to, to obedience, and that's what we saw in the life of Joseph. So what, what, what have we learned so far? If we're going to overcome temptation, conquer temptation, we have to know who we are in Christ. We have to pursue a high standard. We have to accept personal responsibility. We have to create some swift separation the last one is this. We need to cultivate devotion. Devotion with the Lord. I think one of the, one of the biggest keys to Joseph's strength in this season of extreme temptation, one of the keys to his strength was his cultivated relationship with the Lord. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, and we focused on this last week, that the Lord was with Joseph through all of this. And the Bible repeats that phrase, the Lord is with Joseph, the Lord is with Joseph, the Lord is with Joseph. And, and Joseph knew that. And he cultivated in, in whatever way was possible in the time that he lived. And of course, there's much more available to us. There's much more we can do to cultivate a relationship with God. But for whatever was available to Joseph in those days, he did it. And he cultivated a relationship with God. And that gave him strength. In fact, as, as I was reading the story this week, I, I read into chapter 40 again. And I came across what, what was an odd verse, not the first time I read it, but after I had read it re repeatedly, something stood out to me. And I, and I think you see the devotion that Joseph cultivated in this verse. Listen, uh, Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, it says, We had dreams, they said to him, but there was no one to interpret them. So Joseph meets a couple of people when he's in prison. He's thrown into prison because of this situation with Potiphar's wife. So he meets these two men and they have dreams and they tell Joseph that they have dreams and they don't know what they mean. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, doesn't that seem odd? Joseph said, well, men, interpretations belong to God. The only way you can have your dreams interpreted is to get a word from God. So tell me your dreams. Well, Joseph, what are you saying? You can't say that they have to go to God and then, hey, but tell me your dreams unless, unless you are so connected to God that you can talk to God on their behalf. You see here that Joseph had a cultivated devotion to God. Anytime, anytime we give in to temptation, it is because we have looked to the world, we have looked to sin,
to satisfy some need, some desire, some hunger that is in us that should ultimately be satisfied by the Lord. Okay? God gives us needs. God gives us urges. God gives us desires. But God also fulfills those things. And so what temptation is, is when we experience a need, a desire, but instead of looking to the Lord for that, we look to the world, that's temptation and that leads to sin. But if we are so satisfied with God, it will lessen, listen, it will lessen the pull, the world, the pull that, that temptation has on us because there's no dissatisfaction to hook us. Joseph was satisfied with the Lord. And so when temptation came, it did not have the hook that it might otherwise have had. And in our lives, if we will just be satisfied, if we will cultivate a devotion with the Lord such that we're satisfied with him, then temptation will not have the pull on us. Let me share with you something uh, that I call code 48 for the satisfaction of the Lord. Now that's pretty corny. I'll tell you what I mean by code 48 in a moment. But code 48 is how you can be satisfied with the Lord. Code 48. Now here's what it means. Philippians 4.8, James 4.8. Can you remember that now? Code 48, Philippians 4.8 and James 4.8. That's the key to being satisfied with the Lord such that temptation can't get such a hook in us. Let me read those two verses. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything moral, uh, anything excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So he, he says that our focus ought to be on the things of God and the person of God. Now, the way we focus on the person of God is through worship and through reading and studying and prayer. And if we will focus on those things, then we will be satisfied with those things. And we'll not be looking to the world for satisfaction. So Philippians 4.8, Project uh, 48, Code 48, Philippians 4.8 says that we should turn to God. We should be satisfied with the things of God. We should pursue a focus on God through worship and reading and prayer. And then James 4, 8 says something very similar, but it really closes the argument. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If we will do Philippians 4, 8, and we will pursue the things of God, focus our minds on the things of God every day, reading our Bible, praying, uh, spending time with the Lord, worshiping every week. If we will focus on God, we will draw near to him and he will draw near to us and we will know the satisfaction that lessens the hook of sin and temptation. If you're filled with steaks and potatoes, uh, you will not be tempted by the scraps. And that's true in our spiritual lives as well. Well, there was a hinge point in Joseph's life. Uh, we're going to read... Genesis 41 and 42. We're going to go all the way through the end of the book. There's much still to see in Joseph's story. And it's an amazing story. But all the things we read, all the wonderful things that are going to happen, they all go back to this hinge point right in the middle of Genesis chapter 39. 
Joseph was faithful, made all of that possible. For you and I, we face some, some decisions. We face temptations. We face opportunities. All the time, they're hinge points in our lives. What story will be told because of how you respond to the temptations and the opportunities that the world sends your way today? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the resources we have in Christ that we can know that we are right with the Father because we are connected to Christ. And for those that hear my voice today and don't have that assurance, give them the courage to reach out so that someone can show them the way that brings assurance and confidence and peace in life. But Father, you have done so much for me through Christ to forgive my sins. Help me to embrace that with a high standard. Help me to live a life of obedience such that this day, such that this season in my life will be a hinge point for all that you want to do in the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.